0: Well, good morning. There you go. My name is Brandon. As you said, one of the pastors here at um, Sojourn Heights. Uh, before we get to um, Isaiah and our uh, sermon passage, I, I want to remind you guys uh, of something. If uh, if you're new, we are in the process of finishing off a capital campaign to uh, to renovate the building next to us. That will become our new sanctuary. Our our first Sunday over there should be late February, beginning of, uh, of March, uh, and every December we... Uh, we, we try to raise uh, some funds generally for something that internal, something we need, and then for external. And so this year, like the last couple of years, uh, some money that we raise is going to be going to church planting. So uh, we're hoping to raise 25000 for uh, our next Sojourn plant, Sojourn Brazewood, 15000 for uh, our two newest church planting residents, Raf and Namiko, and then uh, the rest will go to finishing off our capital campaign strong. We're, we're hoping, just like the last two years, to to raise $300,000 uh, on top of our normal uh, December giving. We, we've gotten there the last two years. This year, uh, we have an offer from uh, a couple to help us to to match up to 100000 of anything that we raise outside of, uh, of our church from friends or family. And so, uh, if you could, uh, go to the website under the Give tab, there's a video which is essentially just me asking them to uh, to come along and help us in this. And so if you would sit with friends, family this holiday season, uh, we would really appreciate it. Ask them to help consider supporting us as we as we try to finish this off. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. As I've said, we're in a uh, season that we call Advent. Um, Advent is where we remember the coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ. And this year we're looking at Isaiah, not the whole book of Isaiah, but a few passages out of Isaiah, asking what the implications are of this coming of Christ for us, for our world. Today we're looking at Isaiah 11, and here's the context of Isaiah 11. Here's what's going on. Uh, Isaiah begins uh, addressing Israel and their unfaithfulness, confronting them over their sin and their disobedience. And then Isaiah addresses Syria nation next to them uh, who was trying to oppress Israel. This was a uh, violent and arrogant nation. And Advent, this story of Christmas, the story that we are all familiar with of the baby coming into the world, is a story of God coming in to humanity, into this world, into this faithless and violent world. And here's what we're going to see about Advent from Isaiah 11. Four things. The person of Advent, the purpose of Advent, the mystery of Advent, and the mission of Advent. So, person, purpose, mystery, and mission. Let's talk person. Look at verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So, he begins saying this, uh, that he's coming, that, that there is... Um, The shoot coming from a stump of Jesse. Now, stump of Jesse is obviously metaphorical language, uh, which the Bible is full of. The Bible is full of this symbolic imagery throughout the Scriptures because uh, the, the authors of the Bible are not simply trying to communicate data to you. They're not just trying to transmit information. They're trying to get you to read in pictures, to be able to see what it is that you're reading. Why? Because pictures both help communicate the gravity and effect of what you're reading while drawing you into the story, while pulling you into the story. For our, our case here, the Advent story. So what was this stump of Jesse? What's it a metaphor for? It was a metaphor for what was left of the royal line of David. So in the Old Testament, there was uh, King David, and Jesse was his father. And this was the family tree that Jesus the Messiah was going to come from. This was the lineage, the family tree that Jesus the Messiah was going to come from. And so what does he mean by a stump? Well, if you picture two trees next to one another, one of them fully grown, think, you know, redwood forest, right? 200 plus feet tall, 40 feet wide, massive, full bloom, beautiful tree. And next to it, a two and a half foot stump. The stump next to it looks basically non-existent and essentially dead. That's the picture that we have right here. That because of Israel's unfaithfulness, this family tree looked essentially non-existent and basically dead. Listen to this quote. Isaiah takes seriously his prediction. The time will come when all signs of life in the Davidic monarchy, that's the David's kingdom, will have disappeared. Like a tree cut to the stump. But, there remains a secret vitality. What is the secret vitality? The secret vitality is what is growing out of the stump. It's the shoot that would become a branch. Both metaphors for the same thing or the same person. Both shoot branch metaphors for Christ who would come. And we put uh, Isaiah 11 with Jeremiah, put them together and we get a more full picture of what's being said when it says that he is a branch. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king, and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. The shoot that would become a branch would be born a king. The shoot was going to be a branch, a king, a king who was coming. To reign. It's why every year we hear the words and sing the words Noel, Noel, born the king of Israel. He was a king. The baby coming into the world was going to be born a king. But what kind of king would this baby be? Let's keep reading. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So Isaiah in verse 2 says three things uh, about this coming Savior, this coming Christ, this baby who would be born a king, full of wisdom and understanding, counsel and my knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And there's a lot going on there and how it's contrasting him to uh, earthly kings of that day. But I, I want to zero in on one word, the word rest, that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. To understand uh, what he means when he says it will rest upon him, I think we have to look backward in the Bible and look forward in the Bible. We look back to Exodus 33, where God is talking to Moses. Moses was the leader who led Israel out of captivity in Egypt. And he says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Same word. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So this rest is linked with the presence of God. And then if we were to fast forward to Jesus' baptism... I want to guess what it says there, that the Spirit's going to come down and rest upon him. It's going to come down and it's going to rest upon him, point being that this was a king with whom the presence of God would go, a king with whom the presence of God would rest and dwell would not leave because he was going to be God in the flesh. He wasn't just going to be a king, he was going to be a divine king. He was coming as God in the flesh to rule and reign as God on the earth. And this king who comes as a baby, this was an absolute then and now, an absolute violation of the world's wisdom, absolute violation of all things that seemed wise to the world. Both then and now, the way in which God would save the world, the way in which God would bring about his story of redemption into the world was an absolute violation of the world's wisdom, the world that said conquer, conquer, and he came as a baby. The Assyrian world, it said, listen, you, you want to advance your kingdom, you do it through other people's blood. This was a baby who's going to come and advance his kingdom through his own blood. This was absolute foolishness in the world. Then and now. Now, it's still, I succeed at your expense. This is the world's wisdom right here. I succeed at your expense. I, I do Anything and everything to not be irrelevant, to not be obscure, to be seen, to be known, to be valued. I I work hard and I climb the ladder. This was a king who was born as a baby in a middle of nowhere town. This was an absolute violation of the world's wisdom then and now. He was a baby born as a king in obscurity. Hardly anyone recognized him. That's the person of Advent when we talk about the person of Advent and the person that we celebrate on Christmas morning, this is the person we're talking about. King born as a baby, vulnerable. A vulnerable baby. Which, world's wisdom there, you do anything you can not to be seen as vulnerable. To not be vulnerable, not just to not be seen as vulnerable. And this king came as a vulnerable baby. This is who we celebrate the Advent season. That is the person of Advent. So what about the purpose of Advent? Let's keep reading verse 3. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Okay. Okay. So with righteousness, he's going to judge the poor. That's interesting language there, judge the poor. Uh, Typically, when we think of judging someone, we associate with a negative statement about that person. I judge you, that's therefore a negative statement. But That's not at all what it means. It reads like that, but that's not at all what he means by it. So the poor then, just like the poor now, were people who lacked political power, who lacked access to social structures, generally familial and, and civic, that created a safety net for you. They, they lacked access to what most of us would call that which makes the world just. And When it says that he's going to judge the poor, it, what it means is he's going to judge for the poor. He's going to make things just for the marginalized, for the poor, the vulnerable in society. This coming King of Advent, this coming King of Advent was going to be a defender of the vulnerable, a defender of the poor, a defender of the outsider. Then there was the meek, the meek of the earth. He's going to uh, decide disputes with righteousness decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Uh, The meek, that word, it means downtrodden, outsider, the downtrodden outsider. This is a king who is going to be the great equalizer, the great equalizer who is going to make things equitable for the downtrodden, marginalized in the world. He's going to identify with the poor, and he's going to use his power to make things right for them. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and with faithfulness the belt of his loins. Not exactly language that we use today, belt of your loins. I'm not going to bring it back. Maybe you will, I don't know. Why a belt? What does this mean? The belt of his waist, the belt of his loins. Well, if we went back to Isaiah 5, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see Assyrian warriors wearing the belt of their loins. It doesn't read that way in English. That's what it reads in Hebrew. These Assyrian warriors, these executors of injustice, these people carrying out unjust edicts by the king. Point being here that this this is not going to be the kind of king who comes and takes advantage of smaller and weaker nations. This is Not going to be a king who comes and executes injustice in the world, but a king who comes and brings about justice and executes justice in the world. See, Isaiah, in this language right here, he's going to great lengths so far to say, listen, you want to understand the coming king? You need to see that justice, righteousness is fundamental to who he is. He is fundamentally different than every other king this world has ever known executing justice is fundamental to the purpose of Advent. The purpose of Advent is this king who is going to come and bring about a just world, which he now illustrates with more imagery. Imagery uh, that I really think has, at, I think there might be more than two to be honest, but, but uh, at least two layers to this imagery here. Listen to verses 6 through 9. And I, I'm intentionally going to try to keep us at a high level with this imagery because I I, I want us to see the macro point of this, of the layers of this imagery here. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Goat, not goat. that's not a word. And the calf and the lion, the fattened calf together and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is cultural and contextual imagery that he's using right here that has. I think at least two layers to it. Layer one is what he's been talking about, the vulnerable. The vulnerable. That each of these imageries has both predator and prey. Right? So you've got the uh, wolf and the lamb, the leopard and the goat, the lion and the calf, the nursing child and the cobra. Every one of them have both predator and prey. In each of these comparisons, somebody is always vulnerable to the other. There is never a day uh, when uh, any of our nursing children will hang out with a cobra, and the cobra is vulnerable. There is a predator and a prey, and here he is saying that in this kingdom, under the reign of this king, the vulnerable are safe, that the wolf and the lamb will lie down together, They will live together. Listen, the wolf is still a wolf, but the lamb is no longer a meal. That in this world, the vulnerable are safe. Under the rule of this king, the vulnerable are protected, but there is another layer to it, and I think it's the layer of nations, the world, images of the lamb, the lion, and the calf representing the world and nations. Listen to this quote. An extended figure of speech is being used to make a single overarching point, namely that in the Messiah's reign, the fears associated with insecurity, danger, and evil will be removed, not only for the individual, but for the world as well. You see, here's the, here's the point. Advent's implications reach well beyond you, way beyond you. There are implications for Advent that make their way to communities and cities and states and nations And that when the Advent story is what has woven its way into all of the nations, the nations will look different. When the world has been folded into this kingdom, has made its way into this kingdom, as this kingdom has made its way to the entirety of the world, the world will be different. There will be no war, there will be no death, there will be no disease. And these verses right here, beginning with a wolf and a lamb, finishing with God's dwelling place being on the earth. Let me tell you the point that it's making right here. The point is not that Advent is about God making the world a little bit better. It is about a whole new world. It is about a new and different world breaking into the world as we know it, as we see it. It is not about the world becoming a little bit better. Advent is about a king who would come and get rid of death and disease and suffering and dying and you fill in the blank. It is about a whole new world. The purpose of Advent is upending the world as we know it. It's about a world of justice where king and the lowly and the outcasts live and eat and dine together where the marginalized are welcomed at the king's table. It is about a different kind of world altogether making its way into our world. That is the purpose of Advent. So what about the mystery of Advent? Look how verse 10 begins. The way verse 10 begins, I, I'm telling you, I've, I don't know how many times I've read Isaiah. This is just, I, I, it's like I just went right by it every single time. Look how it's, it begins. In that day, the root of Jesse. So speaking of this same person, calls him right here, the root of Jesse. The root of Jesse. Jesse. If we went back to verse 1, what is he? The shoot of Jesse. He is the root of Jesse and he is the shoot of Jesse. He is the root, the shoot, the branch. He is all of it. What could this possibly mean? Here's what it means. It means that he both comes from the lineage of David and Jesse and he is the source of the lineage of David and Jesse. He is where they came from. He is where they are going He is the source of Israel's story, and he is the purpose of Israel's story. That he is the creator who sustained Israel, and he is the redeemer who comes from Israel. He is the source and the purpose. And when Jesus took on humanity, he was the embodiment of the mission of God. He was the embodiment of the mission of God, the mission of God that looked like a king who would be born poor and die vulnerable. He was a king who would come, who would be born poor, die vulnerable, who lived his life among the outcasts. And when you see that, when that, when that sinks deep into you, when, when you look at the Advent story not simply as a, a way to get new gifts that you haven't wanted to buy in the past, but when the Advent story becomes about a king who came, who was born poor, died vulnerable, you can't help but identify with the poor and vulnerable. You simply can't help but open up your life and your heart and your home to those in need. And let me tell you what else happens. You don't just see the poor and the vulnerable different. You begin to see yourself different. You begin to see yourself not not simply as an intellectual, successful, one of the elites, but you begin to see yourself as spiritually poor and vulnerable in need of the same grace that everyone else is. From Yale to Yemen. You see yourself in need of the same grace. You don't see yourself as above anyone else. You see yourself as a humble beggar in need of the same grace of Advent that everyone else is. Everyone. So here's the mystery of Advent, that Jesus is the source and the purpose of the story. He is where it came from. He is where it is going. So what about the mission of Advent? Well, this keeps us with this root imagery. Why root imagery? Because listen, if we, if we scan the Bible, roots aren't always good. Like Roots aren't always good. Um, Hebrews, two examples. Hebrews uh, warns about letting a root of bitterness grow up inside of you. First Timothy, that money is the root of all kinds of evils. So roots are not always a positive thing in the Scriptures. So why this root imagery? What's the point here? Let's go back to verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So remember, Jesus is the shoot, the root, the branch. He is all of it. This is metaphor, imagery here again. What's its point? Ray Ortland, I'm, I'm quoting him. I didn't want to do a quote here, but I can't. It, it's from him. From one stump, a little grows, a little shoot grows and becomes a branch that bears fruit. And the fruit it bears is a whole new world. The fruit. That comes from the root that becomes a shoot and a branch, the fruit of all of it is a whole new world. A whole new world. A new world that has broken into our world in the coming of this king. This is why lyrics, lyrics from songs like A Million Dreams resonate so, so deeply with all of us. Lyrics like this. Because every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors fill my head. A million dreams are keeping me awake. I think of the, what the world could be. I think of what the world could be, a vision of the one I see. A million dreams dreams—it's all, is all it's going to take. Oh, a million dreams of the world we're going to make. Listen, that, that movie is a uh, uh, greatest showman, brilliant, by the way. Redemptive, beautiful, great story. And in it's songs like this that just resonate to the human core. Why? Because every one of us in this room, we know that the world is not the world as it should be. We know it is not the world as the world should be. And this king is coming to bring about a new world, to break into a new world. What will it look like? What will it feel like? What will it be like when that world makes its way to us and to others? Let's go back to verse 10. I'm going to read you verse 10, and I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you how this verse got interpreted in the New Testament. Keyword: interpreted. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So in the uh, first century, there was this uh, Greek translation. There were Greek speakers. They had a Greek translation of the Old Testament. When, that, when those translators translated uh, this verse they interpreted the verse. And then Paul, one of the authors of the New Testament, quotes that interpretation. So let me read you how he quotes that interpretation. This is Romans 15, 12. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, and he who arises to rule the Gentiles, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. This is how that verse got interpreted in the New Testament. In him, in him, Well, the Gentiles, that's the peoples, the nations of the world, in him will they hope, hope that the world will be as it should be, hope for a world where poor and marginalized and outsiders are treated like insiders who are welcomed at king's table. Where there is no more predator, there is no more prey, that is simply a thing of the past. That is a thing of the past. It's the world that we hope for, it's the world that we all want, and it's the world that Advent initiated, and it's a world that in Christ has made its way to you, that in Christ this world broke in. The story of Advent, not simply a cute little baby, it's a story of a new world breaking into our world, and when you are in Christ, you are part of that new world. The hope of that world has made its way to you. we just sang. I'm not, I'm not, I'll get the words wrong, so I'm not going to say it, making room in our hearts. It has made its way in the hearts of His people. The hope of that world has made its way to you, which means there is hope in your parenting. I know it feels futile and frustrating and endless and exhausting, but there is hope in your parenting, your parenting in light of Advent. There is hope in our singleness. I know, I know it can feel lonely. I know it feels lonely, but you have a, family that loves you and you are living in light of advent you have the hope of advent in you it transcends everything means there's hope in our marriage that no matter how hopeless it may feel it is not hopeless no matter how hopeless far gone broken it may feel it is not hopeless broken and too far gone it means that there is hope in our unemployment our anxiety our addiction our cancer It means the hope of Advent has made its way to you, and that transcends everything. It redefines everything over and over and over again. That's what happens when Advent makes its way to you. But when it makes its way to you, it doesn't terminate on you. That Jesus came into the world as king to make the world a better place for all. And so you, I, we together, the members of this new world, get to go out into our world and make our world a better world for all. Listen, I I give us a hard time about social media. Um, I've said it a thousand times, a great place to make a point, terrible place to make a difference, right? When it comes to debating politics, that is still 100% true. But let me tell you one way you can use it to make the world better and to make a difference. This is low-hanging fruit. There's a group on there that I, you have to ask my wife what it's called. I don't know the name uh, she's the one that's on it uh uh for Houston free or something like that, where you just barter things but but people often on their posts and say hey listen i i I got cancer, I can't work. I need x, y, and z's or anybody, or my house flooded and uh I, and we now had to go to this place and we don't have anything and I don't have the money to does anybody have um they they would go on and post things things like I have lupus and I lost my job. Does anybody think they might be able to help get one or two Christmas presents for my 12 and my 17 year old? And then you look at the list that they send you and it's here's one way to make the world better. Join that group and when somebody posts and asks for help, help. You don't, you don't do social media? I really don't either. That's okay. Houston welcomes refugees. Go help. Go make the world better for somebody who's moving to our city. Go, go to our uh, website. Find our other organizations that we partner with and go and serve and make the world better. Take the hope of Advent that has made its way to you and go out into the world and take that hope to our neighbors. It's one way. One way simply to be the people of Advent. To take the hope of Advent. To take the new world that has broken in that you are in, that you are and take it out into the world. So in this Advent season, celebrate. Party. Have a great time. Like enjoy the mess out of Advent. There, there is nobody in the world that should celebrate Advent in this Christmas season more than Christians. No nobody should have a better time right now than us. Have fun. But don't lose sight. Don't get so caught up in the rat race that you lose sight that the story is not a story about a new bike or a new this or a new that. It's a story of a king who came into the world to make the world better for all, to bring about a new world into this world of which you are a part. Don't lose sight of the substance. Everything else is simply a shadow. Don't live your life in the shadows this season. Live your life in the heart of the substance this season. This is my last sermon for 2019. and There are like a thousand things I want to say right now. But they are all going to have to wait until January. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son, Christ, this king, born as a baby into the world. Thank you for sending him to us, for us, to bring about this new world into this world. Help us be the people of Advent this season. People who both celebrate like crazy. And then give our life away for the good of others like crazy. Help us be that. Help us be that kind of people this season, we pray. And we pray in Christ's name, amen.